and welcome to One Track Mind, a podcast about the real issues, forces and innovations shaping the future of sport. I'm your host, Sam Robertson. On today's show, we bring you part two of our episode into what's next in football performance. On part one, we met with Inter-Miami analyst Sam Gregory, and today I'm speaking with Ajax Football Club Head of Football Analytics, Vosse de Boda. Vosse leads the data and video analytics team at the Dutch club, providing objective information and images to improve the decisions of players and teams, both on and off the pitch. In addition to team performance analysis, the department also covers opponent analysis, player recruitment, talent development, skill execution and gaze behaviour. Vossa has more than 10 years experience not only in football but equine sports, rugby and tennis and is passionate about implementing scientific research into the day-to-day workflow of the club in their quest for success both domestically and in the UEFA Champions League. Vossa, thanks for joining me. Yeah, pleasure to be here today. Uh, nice to have you, and I'm excited to hear a little bit about what's going on in your world, particularly at the football club. We were talking a little bit off air just then about it, and I hope you can share some of that with the listeners. Before we get into anything, we've just talked to Sam Gregory and heard a little bit about how his journey into football, in particular into Miami, has uh, originated, particularly from his role in analytics and now uh, maybe in other areas of football coming into the club setting. And one of the reasons I wanted to get both of you on to for the show today was because I think you're both examples of people that are trying to bring what we'd call traditional sports science together with analysis and analytics. He's coming from a, probably a bit of a different background to yourself. Can you talk a bit about how your journey has arrived about where you are today and, and I guess what you're doing in a day-to-day job at the moment? I think that many people in these roles have have a variety of backgrounds and mine is in that sense no different because I have a background in horse biomechanics which is not per se a logic step towards football analytics. Back in 2011 I just finished my master's in the US on horse biomechanics thinking about doing maybe a PhD in that and then an old colleague asked me if I could um, come and visit Ajax because they had Adidas to, to sponsor a sport biomechanics lab which had things like um, 3D biomechanic cameras, infrared cameras, EMG, force plates, high-speed cameras. And it was a really, really cool facility because it was actually based in a full-covered uh, football pitch. But at that time, they had no clue what to do with it. So it was a great sponsor sort of uh, activation, but it was not really a question from the club like, hey, we have this biomechanical question. Now we can sort it out. So. We had to start with with a few cool sort of things to do to show that it that it actually worked. Um, they asked me to uh, to stay for half a year to try it out, and when it was all set up and we did a few sort of demo cases, actually there were no questions from the club, so it it just remained silence. If I asked, does anyone have a question that I can work out in this lab and do a, re- a nice research project on? And then I decided to go out of the lab and to go onto the field and actually look at what the trainers were doing out there. Uh, as I said, I had no background in, uh, in football. And I just started to observe. And then I thought, well, is this really t- the time to start a full biomechanics research in a football environment where we're we still struggling to get the total amount of physical load in and where there's still questions like, is he fast or is he just not starting at the right moment to run to, to get to the ball in time? And 
then I thought, okay, so maybe I should not try to force the football on the, the research environment. I should build the research environment around the football players without them noticing too much and really keep in mind what questions that they have. Am I going to answer here? How can I, am I going to be of use? And I basically started with things like the speed of running, just with, with speed lights. And just asking them questions like, okay, so uh, do you want to know who's your fastest player? And I said, I already know it's that guy. And that guy is really, really slow. And it turned out that actually the, the guy that he mentioned that he thought was slow was one of his fastest players. And then it's interesting. I mean, then you're adding some information that they did not have before. And then you start asking the right questions. So why is he not in time at the ball? Yeah, it's not because he cannot run. It's because he either goes too late or he doesn't push his opponent out of the way or he runs the wrong direction. So I think that was really, to me, a good lesson that we started way too complex. And then just to go all the way back to the start on what information is actually needed here, what can help and how can we provide that? And I think from there in the last 11 years, we built a really nice football research environment that still has the, uh, yeah, the goal to to help in day-to-day decision-making rather than to just study whatever is possible. I didn't know that story about horse biomechanics. So I think I heard, I think I was aware of the Adidas involvement, but I must have missed the start of that uh, when I've heard you speak previously. So that's fascinating. I'm outside looking in, obviously, to what you're doing at the club, but it's amazing the growth that you will have seen in, I guess, the culture, but also the projects you've been able to do in 11 years. And that's not that common in football, obviously. So people staying put in the one spot, but for research, obviously, particularly longer term research, you, you really need that stability. And I, the, the third thing I wanted to kind of quickly pick up was on that part you said about collecting data without the players noticing. And I think this is something that's becoming even more important right now as there's more and more tech and data available. How are we going to be able to do certain projects and certain kinds of analysis and monitoring without the players being kind of encumbered by that or, or getting in the way? So a question for you along those lines about that growth over time. How has your, I guess, approach and culture and philosophy at the club changed in terms of, you said at the start you started with a lot of equipment. Have you increased that or has it gone down, come back up again? What's happened in that 11-year period? In the 11 years, it did increase. So we started with the biomechanics lab, but of course we added uh, tracking uh, around the fields, GPS for when we were away, so many different measurement devices that came and also some of them went again in those 11 years. So I think the total amount grew, but I think now we're sort of down to, to a solid basis of equipment that, uh, that we use. As I said, I'm always very interested in to see how we can do this with, uh, with interfering with the players as, as least as possible and also to make day-to-day work a lot more simple and automated. I mean, when we started, we needed to do so much data cleaning that it took almost two days to make a proper report. And those things, yeah, they changed over the last couple of years with all the, all the possibilities that we have now. They changed, changed a lot. But I think your question that was behind this is, is a little bit more interesting because it's how did the club develop over time and how did the, the attitudes of the people within the club change towards uh, measuring? And I think that I've been very lucky with Ajax. Maybe that's why I've been here for so, uh, so long. Because the club has a philosophy of change, their subtitle is for the future. So I feel like they're a lot more open to trying new things than, uh, than I hear from, uh, from my colleagues at other clubs. On the other hand, of course, I also faced a lot of 
skepticism and yeah we tried this before but uh, that doesn't work and uh, let data play uh, let my computer play the game then if it knows everything and yeah of course i've seen that but i think that that always happens with change there's always people who are not so open to it or that you need to convince and that's basically what i've been doing for the last 11 years is just to show people results that would help them in their decision making so that they would be there was no excuse to not use it basically i would just put it out there and if it was not good enough i i changed it so they it was helpful and i think that's a, that's a constant challenge that's very important for people in our position is to never get comfortable to always think okay what we did yesterday was great yesterday but what can we do tomorrow which makes it even better and i think if you keep asking that question the work will change a lot and the people around you will also change if you ask People 20 years ago, would they ever use a mobile phone? They were not also enthusiastic about it. There's a really nice video of that where someone goes around in, uh, in Amsterdam, the city where I live, and asks people, would you use a mobile phone? And people go, no, why? Maybe you can just ring me at home, right? If I'm not home, I will get home in an hour. And nowadays, yeah, the, the whole world changed. You cannot really start asking that question when people are not convinced of how they could use it and i think that's something that we got to show them that's fascinating i try to when i record these to not link them to specific moments in time but we're actually geographically not too far apart at the moment i'm not in australia i'm actually in austria at the moment the reason i raise it is i'm at a conference at the moment i had a, a conversation that you made me think of uh, yesterday i saw a great presentation from jaime sampaio who i know that you who you know talking about creativity in players I had a conversation after that with Daniel Mamert, who I know that you also know, and we were talking about creativity in roles of people at clubs, particularly coaches, and the expectation that players would be creative if coaches are not creative in their roles is a little bit unrealistic. And you talked a bit about it then, but you also at the start about how there wasn't any questions at the start when you first walked into Ajax about what people could do with that equipment. I wonder, is that something that you see as your role at Ajax, has it always been that way to, it sounds like it is from what you just described about being that one to drive innovation and new ideas. But I also, I'm interested about whether you've actually taken it on as your role to kind of bring that out in other people as well about, I mean, I know you're not telling them how to do their jobs, but whether you can help coaches or help other staff in your department to find the time for their ideas to come to fruition. It might just be a conversation that then turns into something that you could use. Is that something that you see as, as your role? And do you see that as important? Yeah, if I look at my own department, then we say that the reason why we exist within the club is to provide insight to coaches, players and staff based on objective information and image to make better decisions for each individual player as well as the team. And I think that already sort of drives the fact that you're always looking for information that helps them with decision-making. And the decision you have to make today, I mean, that's always on now. That's not what happened so many days or years ago. It's something you have to know now. So it's already sort of trying to invent new things to be able to, to answer that question the best you can. And I mean, we're in an, in an environment which is very highly competitive. It's high pressure, day to day you have to deliver. It has to be really good what you do, but also the area we work in is very innovative. So it, it's quite hard to keep track of, okay, what do I need to deliver today to the team? 
and how am I going to develop so that at the end of the season, I'm not thinking, okay, I deliver, deliver day to day, but we did not do anything new that could have made the quality of what we're doing better or make our workflow easier or, or all that. So the way within IOX we try to do work now is you have your, your analysts, whether it be video analysts or data analysts in the team that work on the product day to day. So they're the ones speaking to the coaches, being in the meetings, collecting all the questions from the team. They bring it to the analytics department. That's where we have our specialists. And together we try to think of how could we come up with the best solution for this question. If you do it that way, you always have a good process over a season on how to make your product better, because then the rest of the team can think about, okay, now I'm going to automate it. So next time when you need this report, it's already available. There's someone in, in the team who is really good with visualizations. All right. So if we want to um, show a certain stat or a certain trend, this is how, how we're going to present it to the players. So you have a specialist who helps you to make the, the product better. And the people that work within the team, they only have to deliver that product back and make sure that that connection with the trainer is, is really strong. So I think in that way, we, yeah, we really sort of try to deal with the fact that it's both day-to-day super intense as well as innovative in the longer, longer term. I mean, that sounds like a fantastic model, but it also sounds like a model that requires some maturity and stability in an organization for that to come to fruition is that something that's emerged organically or is that something that you had to almost sit down and and plan over time obviously you've been there for 11 years as you mentioned and maybe a second part to that question is it something that you've seen in other places i mean you you're exposed to more football clubs than i am and i don't expect you to individually point them out but it seems like that's not the norm for most football clubs from what i've observed First, we have to be aware we're in this football environment and these are the questions we're working we're working with. On the other hand, we have to be open mind on the way we work can be quite similar to, for example, a product developer. How do they overcome these difficulties? How do big companies like shoe companies or companies that deliver apps, how do they do it? And they also work in scrum teams and they do agile project, uh, projects. So what I try to do is get a little bit of that structure from from bigger companies that successfully worked in these kind of environments and try to not copy, but to shape it to the world that we are in. So you have the best of both. So it's really specific for the area that we work in, football. On the other hand, it's been tried out in bigger companies with great success. So we know that there's a good chance that it will work for us too. So I think you should never sort of only stare to what you've done. You should, you should really open up and look at how other people face these problems and try to learn from them as well. But be aware that yeah, you can never copy paste a structure. You have to really work within your own organization and see what works for you. So if we move away from a little bit about the organizational structure and talk a little bit about, I guess, the what, the specifics of, of what you've done. I mean, I think listeners will be familiar with some of your research particularly, I, th- I think, around gaze behavior and, and goalkeeping in particular. And I know you've presented on that at length. What are the big challenges ahead, not only for Ajax, but for, for football? And I guess part of that, are they challenges that you can even address right now? Are there things that we've probably hit a point of where we don't have the data quality yet or we don't have the time or, or we're not collaborating interdisciplinarily 
enough to, to solve. Do you have a comment on that without telling us uh, the secret projects that you're working on? <laughs> yeah, of course, it would not surprise you if I tell you that I'm a big fan of, of 3D data coming from the game and being collected with uh, multiple video cameras around the pitch. I think the quality and the uh, reliability at the moment is really, really low, but I think that will change very quickly in the next couple of years. So I would be very interested to have a look into that because at the moment we're doing a lot of descriptives. So descriptive statistics on what happened. So they did so many passes from a certain point and we calculate a certain expected goal number to it. But we did do not really know how they did it. How, why does one player make that fantastic shot from a very difficult area on the pitch and the other one can, cannot? So I think that 3D will help you a lot more on the technique that players are using. And in the end, we pay a lot of money for players with, uh, with good technique. So I think that's a whole different area to discover, uh, really. What's immediately interesting and challenging there is that even if you know how they do it, you can tell someone how it's done, but it doesn't mean that they're able to do it. I mean, uh, yeah, I can tell you perfectly how good goalkeeper dive safe is performed, but I don't even dare to jump to make that jump. So let alone be able to do it. So this is one. We already touched upon it earlier, but I also think that less invasive measurements really help with uh, improving the basically to to fulfill the full picture that we have of a player so for example it's really hard to to measure heart rate without having them to wear belts and even if you want to do this live in a stadium there's a lot of challenges in, in to get good connection and all that so i think there if you can make that a lot less invasive and maybe there we can learn from from medical developments then that will also really help it will help the players but it will also in the end help us to to be able to to get the full picture on the player, not only when he uh, he's in a, in a controlled environment, but also when he's out on the pitch. And then I think another one that, that I would really like developers to think about is how can we make the data handling easier? How can we even automate that better? So for example, a lot of the tracking devices, they need, they need you to read in the data and then you have to clean it up and make your report. But if you could do that, that, like send it directly from the device that they're wearing into the cloud, then I don't have to collect that thing in time. I don't have to make sure that if the player trains away from the, uh, from the training ground that he has to read it in, if that goes directly. And I, I know that there are devices that already promised doing that. I think that that would really help. Uh, another one is uh, if you're trying to make a report on a training session, automatic uh, drill recognition, those kind of things, I think, uh, will really help in the future to do more because the handling time of what you do is less. I used to talk about this a lot, I think, at conferences and things maybe five years ago about the efficiency component, which is really what you're talking about now, making people more efficient and, and organizations more efficient. But it's funny, it's often a, a topic that people don't want to talk about because it's not as exciting as a new piece of technology. But yeah, it's interesting to hear you speak about it there as being so important or potentially important because it does really come full circle to what we talked about a moment ago. If you can save people five, 10 hours a week, they can theoretically use that time for something a, a lot more valuable and a lot more uh, suited to their, their specialization. On that last point you mentioned then, do you think some of the companies out there are starting to, to pick that up? Or if we turn this around and we're in the 
the shoe wearing the shoes of the company would they say that's the responsibility of the client or would they say well we could start doing that solution for you but you might go with another company in a year's time so is it a good idea for relatively stable clubs which is what I'll, I'll call your organization to to get into long-term deals with these companies or maybe you do that already to to go on that journey together about developing the infrastructure yeah we do we do so usually we very picky on on the companies that we work with not only on the quality and price offer that they that they make but also on their willingness to develop together with us i mean on the, along those lines the other thing you talked about a moment ago was it was interesting that you talked less about almost new special types of data, but actually just improving the quality of, it, of existing data. Is that, as a general comment, is that kind of where you think the data quality or the data access is at right now? Or do you think there's a whole data set out there that doesn't exist right now that we could get on athletes? Like psychology is probably the one that comes to mind. We don't really measure that. I'm always very, and I think everyone is very interested in decision-making. So at the moment we have someone at the club who, for example, scores all the communication between players and makes a report on that. We've done a few studies and we would like to uh, continue that in the future with case analysis. So what do they focus on when, uh, when, for example, when they perform a shot, but as I said before, now it's very labor intensive to get that information, both the one where you score all the communications as well as the case behavior. But if you can make that more efficient again, then you can start really trying to review what kind of communication networks and what kind of basically information the decision is based on. So then we have 3D for the more technical execution we have our positional data and the, and the video for the tactical execution. And then we have our decision-making. So why do they make certain decisions? What do they look at? What kind of information do they collect? How long do they need for that? Because I don't have to tell anyone who uh, who is a little bit into football that the higher the level of the game and the, the team and the player gets, the higher your what we call the speed of play, so the faster it goes. So that also means that you have you have to have a faster decision making, a faster ball handling, everything goes faster. And that's something that, especially for a club at Ajax, is very interesting because we, for one, you want your first team to go to a certain level to be able to play at that intensity in the big games in the Champions League, like tonight. But on the other hand, we have a lot of young players in our academy and players younger and younger need to be able to to do well and and to earn their contract and and that yeah that gets more and more intense so you want to try and educate them also with decision making in an early age where they actually have to sort of face a level that they cannot play themselves at yet so it's a little bit like one of my colleagues mentioned which i thought was a really nice example it's like playing the old game of tetris and you've been used to like level three, you know how to do the game, you know how to press the buttons, you know what the shapes of the blocks can look like, but all of a sudden you skip to level 14. You will not be able to do it well, right? Although you know the skills, you know how it's played, there's nothing really new to the game, it just goes faster. And that's basically what also happens to the players. It goes a lot faster. So how are you going to try to get your, uh, your level higher with basically skipping levels of the game. That's what we're trying to do. 
you're very much preaching to the converted here, as I know that you're aware. I mean, this is an area that I think is possibly the most important for players in most team sports right now to improve on. When I say important, it's the most capable of being improved without potential adverse effects. And I guess that's a question for you. I mean, to do what you mentioned then, an analogous example in physical training, of course, could be a disaster. You're probably going to injure the player to take them from level three to level 14. I'm not sure we know enough about that in the decision-making sense, and I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I mean, are there adverse effects from doing that, or is it just pure opportunities for benefit? I mean, I imagine frustration from players could be one, but I mean, that's relatively minor. It seems like most of the output is going to be very positive from exposing them to those environments. Well, the thing is, with physical maturity and, and physical training, Like you say, we know that if you take them from level three to level 14 and you do that instant, you're going to break them. But I think at the moment with more cognitive capabilities, we don't know. Like we have no, like very little information. I know there's many product developers who claim that they can do a cognitive test on the computer and they tell you exactly whether they're going to be the next Messi or not. But in the end, we know very little about how this develops over time. We know that it, it comes with sort of shoops, it comes with, with stages where it, where it really develops quickly and then it stagnates for a little bit. But when that happens and how to trigger that and if you can even, if we can even interfere with that, with that development, yeah, we don't really know yet. And I think that that's a very interesting uh, research area still to come. Before I let you go, I wanted to spend the last couple of minutes talking about exactly what you mentioned, that the, the future. We've talked about it kind of throughout our conversation, but in particular around, I mean, if we, if we circle back to some of the things that we've covered, what could departments look like moving the, into the future? It sounds like your role has changed a little bit over time, although there's parts of it that sound that like they're still the same. I mean, I guess one of the things could be how would we like those departments to look moving forward it sounds like you've already kind of shaped that a little bit what are the challenges that are going to emerge in this area that we've we've talked about i think decision making is is one that we've we've covered but also the the broader football landscape i mean are players going to push back at some point about all of this analysis and monitoring that we're doing and and that clubs and leagues are expecting i mean it sounds like you're doing a good job of of keeping that as i said earlier covert or running in in the background and i think obviously markless and and video tracking helps with that but what do you see ahead in the i guess challenges and opportunities in the next five or ten years yeah i think one of the big challenges that the world has is how we're going to handle and process people's data in general, because there's a lot of questions about privacy, who can store what, who can analyze what, and how to do that. So I think that football is no different than that. I think also a bigger trend is that more and more business intelligence is used in companies throughout the whole company, whether it being uh, speeding up a product process or uh, tracking sales or all that kind of things. I think that's no different for football. If I look at my own department, we're already very closely integrated within recruitment uh, department, the medical department, technical department, but also more questions, like broader questions on how is the development of a youth player uh, over time, recruiting, what do we put into it in the club, where do they leave to, what happens three years after, how we're going to make like risk profiles, all those kind of things. I think 
are gonna grow massively over the next five years. And it's also, I feel like people are a lot more open to, to turn to, to data and, and information that comes from, from different sources to make, to base their decisions on. I mean, especially if I look at the players, we now created the player portal where they can see all their own data. So they go in the morning, they fill out their readiness forms, but they can also see, hey, my match data is in, I want to see some video clips. So we created their own online environment in their phone on an app, because that's basically where they are, where they're at a lot of the time. And if we want to get information across, you really have to go and try and sit in their mind and, and see how they want to consume that. And I see that the younger generation is really sort of pushing us forward. Like, hey, you got that information. I want that information. They're so used. If they go to a restaurant before they would go ask a few friends whether they've ever been there. Was it nice? Now they go, ah, I could just look it up. I see all the ratings. I can check the menu. They're so used to get their information themselves. They want it available. They want it well explained, but they're going to check out for themselves. They want to make yeah, be their own decision makers rather than just waiting for what the coach has to tell them. And I see that trend coming up and I think it's like a big wave. We need to start paddling now. I don't know if uh, all the listeners are familiar to surfing, because if you don't, you're going to be smashed. <laughs> but it does reflect broader society, like you say. I mean, that push towards not only constant information on themselves and their environment, but also that push towards individualization of health and medicine. But it makes sense that they would want that in board. And I think obviously individual sports are probably more used to that, individual athletes than team sports. But it's going to be a challenge on resources for clubs as well because players are going to expect it. I mean, a quick question for you on that that I, I just thought of, and you may be experiencing this already, but maybe with younger athletes. Do you think there's a place for the player themselves in generating some of these new research ideas? Some of them, uh, admittedly, some of them probably don't, but some of them may have very good ideas about what you could potentially do with that data. Is that something you've experienced already, maybe with, with young players? Yeah, I think this is another one. And I think it's just about like, it's just time for someone to pick it up. But I think in the end, the player is the owner of the data. So they should have access through whatever companies collected it on them. And they should be the one to distribute like their image rights. That's, I think, uh, another big thing that at the moment, it's really sort of the data landscape outside and who collects what on who and has rights to what is really no one knows. It's a topic that deserves an episode in and of itself. And it's a great segue. Thank you for mentioning it because I do have an episode planned in a couple of weeks time on that topic. And it's incredibly fascinating. It's going to become more and more important. Thank you so much for your time today, Vossi. It's particularly on the, on the day of a, of a match. And it sounds like Ajax is in very good hands though as well. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for today. It was interesting. That's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next time for episode 43, where we'll be speaking to the MBA's John Bartlett on how the learning environment influences player development. Until then, I'm Sam Robertson, and this has been One Track Mind. One Track Mind is brought to you by Track and Victoria University. If you care about sport and its future as much as we do, please support us by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen and recommending the show to a friend. It only takes a minute, but it really makes a difference. If you want more where this came from, follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn at TrackVU. 
or Instagram at track.bu. Thanks for listening to One Track Mind. See you next time.